0: Back in October, up in uh, Maine, Lewiston, Maine, there was a uh, another one of these mass shootings. So many of them, it seems like you almost, you lose track of them and they kind of blend together, sadly, um, 18 people were killed. This guy, uh, he walked into a bowling alley, shot people, then went to a local bar, same thing. 14-year-old boy and his dad were bowling. They died. Um, This couple in their 70s, they ended up dying, um, protecting, shielding kids from the the bullets. It's like these almost sadly usual common stories that you end up hearing kind of after the fact of just incredible courage and incredible cowardice, heartbreak, heartbreak. one of the victims was uh, the manager of the bar, where the guy went in, he, uh, he went after the gunman with a knife, that's all he had, and he got, he got shot. Um, the following day, the father of the manager spoke to the news, he was interviewed, and um, kind of what he said was amazing in some respects, he, uh, despite His pain, which he totally acknowledged, he just couldn't bring himself to hate the guy that shot his son. Um, And I remember I was, uh, the TV was on, I was up in my room, I don't even know what I was doing, but I had the TV on and I could, you know, kind of hear this in the background. At first I wasn't even kind of fully listening and then I was like, what? I'm like, listening further, listen to what this father said. If this guy was in his right mind, he wouldn't have done this. If he was in his right mind, he would have been a, a loving person, just like we are. I can't hate him. You can't run around the world hating people. I hate what he did, but I don't hate him. If you do these kinds of things, if you do, these kinds of things will happen more and more. If you hate and the hate drives you crazy, then you're going to hurt people. I'm sure this man, whatever happened to his mind, I'm sure, I'm sure he wasn't born a killer. Something happened to him. I'm sure his parents never would have believed that this would have happened to him. So all I can say is, I'm so sorry it happened to all of us, and I'm sorry for what may happen to him. And then there was this pause, this kind of long pause, and he says, uh, but in the end, God will prevail. Hate will never bring my son back. I remember thinking after I heard the whole thing, like, who is this guy? Could he really mean what he was saying? I remember the reporter kind of seemed flustered. It's just not what he was expecting. I think he had like another, like a a question lined up after he spoke and it was, he kind of had to shift gears. Like in the midst of something so dark and so wrong and so evil, how could a person so hurt such a victim say something like that, think that way, be that way? Well, I think it depends on the person. Some people are that way. I think most aren't. I don't know. I think probably most of us think we couldn't. Maybe we should be that guy, but I don't know if we would be. Like, who, who was this guy? 18 people died that night. I wonder if that man's words helped the victims of, the families of victims. I wonder if there were people that night who were on the the verge of despair or rage and his words kind of talked them off the ledge. His words lowered the temperature. They caught their breath because of his words. I wonder if his words, and it was really, I think his faith, I think the faith is what drove the words. I wonder if it gave people hope. Or was he just like a naive optimist? Some unrealistic Jesus freak? Some religious kook? There's a uh, great writer, great uh, spiritual writer, his name is Henry Nouwen. He died about 20 years ago, but he wrote just great spiritual books for years, and he was very, uh, very popular, very readable. Um, he was a priest. He, uh, he was asked this question once, are you an optimist? And he said, no, not really. But that's not important. I live in hope not optimism. So it was kind of interesting. At first hearing that, I'm like, "Oh, isn't that just kind of semantics? Hope, optimism, isn't it kind of, more or less the same thing? I don't think it is. Not if you got faith. Not if you really buy all this. There is a difference. There was another uh, pretty pretty famous, pretty prominent uh, theologian, also a priest, a Jesuit priest. Uh, Did a lot of work back in the, I don't know, the 1940s and 50s. He was also a scientist, he was an archeologist. He was asked a similar question about optimism because apparently he was that way too. He was accused of being like over the top positive. Like too idealistic, naive, too hopeful. So this is what this reporter asked him about that. So you're really a very optimistic guy, always glasses, always half full, totally full almost. So this guy goes, suppose we blow up the world in a nuclear bomb, what happens then to your bright vision of a world coming together in peace? And this is what he said, well, if we blow up the world no doubt that will set things back some millions of years. But eventually what Christ promised will come about. Not because I want it, but because he promised it. And in the resurrection, God has shown us that he is powerful enough to deliver on that promise. You know, ultimately, isn't this maybe what hope is? It's seeing life through that promise. This promise that God will come, that God won't leave us, that God is already here. Regardless of how dark the moment is, God promised he will return. And God doesn't break promises. And if you believe that, then you have hope. Doesn't mean you don't get sad. Doesn't mean you say things are good when they're bad. Doesn't mean you say, oh, that really wasn't such a sad story when it was a tragic, heartbreaking story. Crazy people would do that. Dishonest people would say that. If they acknowledge darkness, they just say, yeah, but it's not, gonna, it's not gonna swallow me up because God promised to be here and to return. And I think this too. Sometimes he sends us people before his return. He sends us people, I think, at times to remind us of that promise when we need to be reminded, when we're on the ledge, when we're thinking about giving up, when we've lost hope, when we've become disillusioned and bitter and angry, and somebody shows up and says something and we catch our breath. Maybe it was like the father of that shooting victim. I don't know. Maybe God sent him. Or maybe he was just a person of faith but who really buys all this. And he was articulate enough to express it. And he became this source of hope in a pretty awful moment. You know, we had a uh, funeral here yesterday. A big funeral. big bigger Bigger crowd than even... Right now, it's with this guy, uh, a member of the parish. His name is Anthony Ponte. Um Great guy, been parishioner for years. His wife, Wendy. Some of you would know her. She's a uh, very, very involved, a great, great woman of faith. Um, Anthony was. Uh, he died of cancer. I think he had it for almost four years. He was about 64 or 65 years old, and uh, somebody. Uh, put out this Facebook post about Anthony and the type of person that he was. This was somebody who worked for him. He had his own business. Listen to what this guy said. I remember the first time I met him. I was interviewing with him for a job in his company. I had just recently lost my wife. And the first thing he expressed was how sorry he was for my loss. He told me that he knew about my two baby girls that I was now raising alone. And he told me that he would never, ever, get in the way of me raising them. That there was nothing more important. I knew then that this was the man I wanted to work for. At that moment, I felt that I was part of his family. Man, what a great thing to say about a person, right? Maybe Anthony was one of those people. I think Anthony was one of those people. Think about that guy. I mean, I don't even know who he is, but I know this much, he just lost his wife and he had two little girls and he was on his own and I guess he was looking for a job. Man, that guy had a lot on his plate. He had to be in a pretty dark place. And this guy who's interviewing him for a job puts him at ease. And he becomes, I don't know, maybe like a a source of hope in a very tough time, in a tough moment. You know, hope, I don't think hope is determined by the news. CNN, Fox, and the Post, and the Times they don't determine hope. If they did, we'd be like schizophrenics, right? We'd be like, oh I watched the news today, I'm like, it was terrible. You watch five horrible stories in a row. You're totally depressed without hope. And then the next day, well, the next next day's a little bit better, so I have a little bit more hope. But Then the next day, something else happens. I'm like all over the place. The news doesn't determine hope. You know what I think hope does? Hope looks at the news. It looks at the facts, but it also remembers God's promise. Hope doesn't say things are good when they're not. Crazy people do that. Annoying people do that. If something really stinks, it stinks. So what people of hope do is they say, yeah, this stinks, this is terrible. I'm not denying the facts. I just see those facts through the lens of faith, the lens of this promise that God will never orphan us. He will never abandon us. He's always here, he's coming. He's arrived. You know, I was talking, I had, we had massed, died at the, uh, 930 or 945 down at Ignatius, and there was tons of kids there. And I was talking about, remember uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? If you're of my age, for sure, you remember it big time. It was massive back in the 70s and 80s, I guess, whatever. Remember the island of misfit toys? Remember some of the toys? Come on now, I know you do. Anybody remember one? Train with square, with square wheels. Charles in the box. It wasn't a jack in the box. It was a Charles in the box. A water pistol that shot jelly. Cowboy that rides an ostrich. An elephant with spots. So anyway, there are all these toys that are kind of different that nobody seemingly wants. So they've all been dumped in this island of misfit toys. It's kind of a hopeless place. And then Santa Claus comes for them and rescues them. Santa Claus did it for them, God does it for us, because on some very real level, we're all kind of misfit toys, aren't we? And we actually do live on an island, so I don't know. (laughs) But that's what we believe. He comes for us. He's actually with us. Sometimes we feel it more than others. Sometimes we believe it more than others. Sometimes he just sends these people our way. Anthony Ponte, the father of that guy who died They're like Advent people, because that's really what Advent is. It's four weeks of saying, hey, we are not alone. We get lonely at times, sometimes more than at others, sometimes painfully so, but we are never alone. There is never a place for despair, because God is with us. He's rescued us. And those Advent people, they just remind us of that fact of faith. They remind us of that promise, especially when we're struggling and we're second-guessing all of that stuff. So I think here's a challenge for all of us in Advent, this Advent maybe, two things. Those Advent people who show up, man, for God's sake, recognize them. Recognize them when they show up. You're struggling in your marriage. Something unfair just happened. You should have gotten that job and he didn't. You know this job way better than this guy, but he's been dishonest and political and whatever else, and he got the job and you're furious. You wanted to get it to this college and you didn't get it. And you think it's the end of the world the ball went through your legs and because of that the rally happened and because of that they won the game and everybody's looking at you you made it happen because you booted the ball and you think it's the end of the world because of that okay you have a bad night maybe even a bad day or two because you You booted the ball, but it's not the end of the world. It's never the end of the world (laughs) until it's the end of the world. And he will catch us by then. And some people show up who just remind us of that when we're having our doubts in our dark days. So when those people show up, that's the first thing, recognize those people. And then here's the second, become like those people. Because no doubt, you'll run into somebody who needs to be reminded, who needs a bit of hope, who needs to be reminded of this promise. These people of hope, these people of the promise, these Advent people, see them and be them.